on this edition of Retronauts, Cacho. Someone say it. On. Thanks. Welcome to Retronauts. I'm your host today, Ray Barnholt, and with me, as usual, is Bob Mackey. Hey, everybody. On the line, Jeremy Parrish. Hi. And today, our guest is Justin Haywald, who you may remember from 1UP or recently from GameSpot. Hi, Justin. I'm just a harbinger of good news and glad tidings. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for having me on uh, this episode. Yes. Because this is something near and dear to our heart, especially when we were at 1UP. You're right. Uh, It... First of all, you know, this is the last Retronauts of the season, and uh, since I'm here, I thought it was finally time to talk about Game Center CX, which is not a retro game, but a Japanese TV show about retro games. Uh, this is actually a backer request, which comes to us from Joey Chu, who you uh, may now know forever as the guy on the PlayStation mural. <laughs> yeah, he, he tweets at me. I'm like, that guy's famous now. Yeah, about that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we knew him before he was cool. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I say it's actually a backer request because, as Justin sort of alluded to, if you're a longtime listener of Retronauts or just a personal friend of mine, uh, you know how I would go on about Game Center CX. Uh, you had the premier blog for detailing Game Center CX back in the day, Crunk Games. Is it is that still active? Oh, yeah. Well, not active. It's, a lo- it's up. But, uh, no, I stopped doing it. Uh, we'll talk about that. But, you know, Game Center CX was kind of this uh, current that ran under me while I was at 1UP uh, because I happened to find out about it right after I moved to San Francisco for the job. And so afterwards, I just fell in love with the show. And, uh, you know, there was a couple times when, you know, fans of Retronauts would kind of ask if I would ever talk about it on the show or what have you. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really always think it was that appropriate. You know, it's not as appropriate as someone may think anyway. I mean uh, – Well, how come? This is, this is a show. OK. Well, I mean for one thing, <laughs> sure, it's a retro game show. But we're a retro game show, talking about a retro game show. And also, yes, we think it's good. But I always thought, you know, maybe for the most part, we just concentrate on doing our own thing as a retro game podcast. You know, it's like if we were all of a sudden, this week on Retronauts, we talk about back in my play. It's like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) There's also the fact that people who talk about a TV show for too long, I think, in any sort of venue really starts to fatigue people. Even off the air, it's like you're at a party. It's like, right, yes, Orange is the New Black. I get it. Yeah, I'll be right on it. Yeah. I don't think you can quite compare Game Center CX to Orange is the New Black, though. This, I I mean, you can look at that there was a video game that was released. This never really caught on in the same way. I mean... And also, we're not going to have any theories about the smoke monster talking about uh, Game Center CX. Yeah, that too. Uh, but, you know, that – it is a little bit different, but also kind of the same because, yeah, a lot of people talk about those shows. But for a while, it was just me talking about this show. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know – You were the evangelist in the office. You brought a lot of us over to the fold. You, right. I mean, you introduced me to, to this show. I brought some of you into the fold. <laughs> I mean to, – To me, that, that makes – to me, that makes what you would have to say about the show a lot more valuable than a discussion about Lost or Mad Men or something, you know, Game of Thrones, some show that everybody watches, whereas this is, you know, unique information that you're just not going to hear other places. I think you're selling yourself short, Ray. 
Yeah, Ray, I think you're the ambassador for the show in America. That's how well, I view you. I, I argue that, especially <laughs> in recent days. I mean, yeah, that was probably true for a time. But um, what was perfect to me was when we did those interstitials on the One Up show, where it was a couple of segments about me talking about Game Series CX when uh, the, the, the DS game had just come out. And that was kind of nice because it was, it was comedic. You could see me nerding out about the show in a half-kidding, half-genuine way. And that seemed like a good thing because it was all, also bite-sized. And, you know, that just seemed like the perfect sort of way to, like, Pitch it to people who were, you know, happened to be, you know, fans of One Up at the time or what have you. Uh, but then, yeah, of course, I was doing blogs about it on One Up as well, and um, it was years of me talking about it enough on One Up on my site, where I had the episode guide, and on other people's sites. But the thing is that also that was a while ago now, and in recent years, uh, because of a variety of factors, the fandom of the show has grown far beyond me. Uh, which is good, like I said, because now I don't have to worry about it as much. You know? There are so many ways that people can access and, and watch these episodes. Right, now. exactly. Through things like fan subs and other stuff that we'll talk about. You were sort of like patient zero, Ray, yeah. for Game Center CX so, in America. Yes. Yeah. He, he so, was I the mean, John he, the Baptist of, uh, of Game Center <laughs> CX, the voice in the wilderness eating locusts, wearing camel hair. And now, finally, <laughs> yes. the whole religion has sprung up around it. But he, you had to lead the way. I view Ray as kind of a Jimbo Jones character. Right. This is all going to end poorly. <laughs> uh, probably already has. <laughs> all right. With all that grumpy bullshit out of the way, <laughs> what is Game Center CX? Uh, it's, I've always found it kind of hard to elevator pitch the Game Center CX in, in various ways, whether it's the show or the game. Just because when you sort of explain it to people in a couple of sentences, they kind of sort of look at you blank face at first. So you really have to go that extra mile to get people into it. In my experience, maybe this isn't, this isn't the same for everybody. Probably not the same uh, these days, like I said, because the fandom's so much bigger. But anyway, it's a show where uh, a Japanese comedian, Shinya Arino, who uh, is under sort of this very loose guise as a section chief slash salaryman guy. That's why you see him wearing this uh, sea green, seafoam green uh, jumpsuit. Because in Japan, you know, a lot of office workers are guys who are just sort of like in these half industrial businesses. Like yeah. you'll see them in the office wearing these sorts of so coats it's something, and pants. Yeah, it's something you could wear out when you like you go out to the building inspection right. area. Yeah. I could see him in a hard hat and with like a clipboard carrying it around. There, there's kind of like that meta text element. It's like they sort of tried to do the Mystery Science Theater Satellite of Love thing, but then just kind of gave up halfway and said, yeah. eh. Uh, and by the way, Mystery Science Theater is my favorite show, pretty much along with Games Theory CX, so I don't know if that was one of the factors. That there are so many things in time. common. The yeah, grand yeah. unifying theory comes together at last. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's pretty <laughs> much, that explains how I love it so much, basically. Also, it's a very low budget. It's very simple, like dude yes. in a room playing a game. Yeah, so here it is. He walks into this nondescript office 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 room, conference room, whatever it was, depending on the season. He basically just sits down at the desk and plays a video game on a tiny TV. And it's always these retro games for the Famicom, NES, Super Famicom, mostly 16- and 8-bit stuff. So he just plays it all day, essentially. I mean, he has to start at 10 a.m., goes to like midnight, and he has to beat it. And if he doesn't beat it that day, he can choose to give up on it or maybe take it on the next week. The thing is, is that Arino's not very good. I mean, yes, he's been, he's into games. He's, he's this pretty famous comedian, and he sort of has this otaku vibe to him that he's talked about before on other places. But he's not, he's maybe not as much into games as we would be. He has, he has issues with pattern recognition, I would say. Yeah. And given how much pattern plays into, you know, 8-bit video games, it's really to his detriment. Like, there are things that just seem so obvious, and, and as you play or watch games like these, you're like, oh yeah, no problem. But he's just kind of blind to them, and it's really interesting to see how, 
he processes these games differently than than you or I would. Yeah, and of course, there are lots of 80s and 90s action games that are featured on the show, and so it's just sort of like watching this man be tortured. For, yeah, if you're, for the, if you're the kind of person who will watch like a giant bomb quick look and just like flood the comment section with like, I can't believe you guys didn't see this, you're so stupid, this, this show will probably really make you angry because... <laughs> Yeah. There are a lot of dumb mistakes, but he has a very great attitude. And that is true. That is true because he, he laughs at himself. He laughs at all the situations. And so you know, people laugh – people in the room, the other staff along with him, they laugh along with him. And despite those trappings, it's, it's really about childhood nostalgia, playing games both from his childhood and, and the uh-huh. viewers. Like he has a, a box of – or a bag of snacks next to him that are – God, so many snacks. Yeah. <laughs> not, not healthy treats. That This is not a learning program. This is not Sesame Street. These are just like crappy things. That, that room has got a smell at the end of the day. <laughs> just eating fried, fried squid all day. Yeah, that the 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 best example of that was the episode. It was the oh god, the the road, the Famicom game where you're like on the 38 gates of the Tokugawa's. I can't remember what it's called. 53 stations <laughs> of the Tokaido. <laughs> he, eats, he eats a snack from the region that he's going through for every single gate of the game. There's, wow. It's just like this constant flood of food as he's suffering through this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's another thing, is that he always has yeah, snacks on the desk, basically in front of him. It's just a pile of stuff. He doesn't always go through it all, but it's usually like a, uh, like a cuttlefish, you know, some other things that you might find at the stranger corners of an Asian market around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that I'm not so much into, but, you know, just imagine it's beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's squid jerky. Yeah. But you, with vinegar. If it, yeah, if it was, it was if, if the show was in America, it'd probably be beef jerky or something. <laughs> it would be Doritos. There'd yeah. be a sponsorship. So uh, I was like, I was saying about the elevator pitch. Like when I say things like, "Oh, he has to play it all day," people think like it's it's like a twelve hour long show. No, it's not. It's, it's about an hour hour long straight, uh, cut down from those you know fourteen hours of footage or so. But despite that, it's like it's amazing how much could go wrong <laughs> in one episode and how much is just so perfectly edited in that way. Another thing is that you know because he screws up so much. It's like people start to think it's staged, like it's a staged show. Um, but uh, like like Jeremy was saying, like he just has these problems with pattern recognition really. And I would say also like would you be so great going into Battletoads blind for the first time on camera? <laughs> like maybe not. Yeah, I just watched um, that one and I was actually amazed that he finished that game. Yes. Like, yeah. I, of course, you know, one of the one of the things about the game is that he does have his staff on hand, uh, which generally consists of more talented players than himself and they'll help him out. But still like, although mm-hmm. he, he does some pretty impressive stuff. And well, some of the mistakes he makes aren't necessarily gameplay related. It'll be, you know, there's a code that you can enter when you when you die, when you lose all your lives in the game. You can <laughs> pick up right where you left off. And so many times he'll have made like hours and hours of progress. And then he'll like, yeah. he would just need to press up and B while pressing start to start right where he left off. And then he just accidentally <laughs> pushes start and he's back uh. at the beginning. And you just see that, that look of horrible fear and sadness on his face. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing. It's like he is playing these on the actual systems and there's no save states and nothing like that. It's not like watching someone on Twitch play an emulated game, you know, like Well, the save state for him is I've screwed up too many times. I need the AD to come in and put me back where I was. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even that takes time. So it's still like this manual save state. It's like manual labor <laughs> as save state. Um, nevertheless, I think Arino does have his strengths. I mean, uh, he started to play more puzzle and adventure games, and he sort of like demonstrated like this sort of greater deductive logic, you know, as opposed to like his pattern recognition stuff. And so, usually, yeah. you know, when he plays a puzzle game or something, it's he, he usually gets through it, or he at least 
takes the time to really think about it seriously and then surmount it After one way or another. watching a lot of these recently, I think the show is secretly about the scientific method because that's basically <laughs> what he goes through to like figure things out with every problem. It's very like meticulous and very like standardized, the, the steps he goes through to solve a problem in, yeah. in the show. There are also side segments on the show. I mean, it's an hour long, but you usually have a few like 10 minute or so segments to break it up. Um, the main one being uh, the visits to local arcades or candy shops or other sorts of things in Japan that might have arcade games in them, which are a lot. Um, that like the English rough translation is like you should visit this game center sometime, and so it's just where Arino goes on locations, basically a remote segment where he goes goes and visits these locations and plays plays some of the games there and has has a bit of a laugh. I thought it was interesting that that actually playing the games was, was really more of a segment at the beginning. Like I think the show was mm-hmm. pitched for season one as a time to interview game developers and talk to guys about right. making these games. And then playing the games was off to the side. Mm-hmm. But then in subsequent seasons, that became the crux of, of the show. Yes, they quickly retooled it after that first season where it was just like, oh, yeah, this is hilarious because <laughs> <laughs> we should just make the whole show like this. And so they did. And uh, it's been running for 11 years now uh, through 18 seasons. Some of them were different links that started at different times. That's why there's 18 of them. And Japanese seasons are run a little bit differently than they do well, here you know, in the They States. barely even have seasons. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, a Japanese drama will run for like 12 episodes and then be it. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, a couple years later they'll have a sequel series or something. And here a, a season can be like five or six episodes in yeah. some cases. It, more, more often now it's been like 10 or 20 episodes of Game Series CX. Um, and uh, among that, there's been several special events since then. There's been like these hours-long live marathons. Uh, there's a 24-hour marathon. There's like a crazy eight-hour Christmas one before that. And uh, he's also been on international trips. He went to the USA. You got to meet him in person, right? That's right. I have been on the show. You can see me on the USA special. Wearing the uniform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You should put wherever you post this. You should have some picture of that that is yeah. easily findable. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, let's see, Ross. Yeah, I went to Paris, uh, Cambodia. Uh, one of the most recent big events was he went to the Budokan. Budokan. It was a Budokan special, and the Budokan is basically like a Madison Square Garden of Japan. Essentially, it's this giant arena. So thousands of people went uh, last fall just to see this special show, and uh, that was pretty intense as well. That's that's I think that's a good uh, sort of a nutshell description of it. I have a question for you, Ray. Maybe Justin too. Like, where did this guy come from? I don't know anything about the world of Japanese comedy. So, uh, like, he seems to be just a middle-aged guy. I'm sure that's not his first job in uh, entertainment. I just don't Mm -hmm. know if you guys know where this guy is from and what he did before. Well, if it even matters. Not really. (laughs) But people do end up, you know, enjoying Rhino outside of the show because they love it so much. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, like so many other comedians in Japan, they all come from Osaka, basically. Right. I figured, yeah. (laughs) And they're all usually uh, duos. So he's part of a duo called Yoiko, and he has his partner, Hamaguchi. Uh, And they've just been like – they've been one of the more consistent ones after a while. I mean, they have – they do make – they're pretty rich. Let's okay. just say that. <laughs> they do a lot of stuff. They've been on tons of different shows, tons of different live shows. You know, they, they, make, they make a lot of bank. And so for some reason, it is kind of funny to see Arino just do this really low-budget show <laughs> basically as, as part of his second career now. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's basically – they've been around since like I think 1990 or so. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And, and a lot of comedians in, in Japan are kind of looking for their shtick, the thing that will make them popular and well-known. And then they'll keep doing that for as long as possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, but then not all of them really have a show in the same way that Ari Nola does. Yeah, no, yeah. Ari Nola, I think, is, is a guy who kind of stands out. He's someone who has gotten internet, not super international fame, but this yeah. has gotten a following across international boundaries. And mm-hmm. like, I would be hard pressed to think of another Japanese comedian who, mm. who, who really crosses cultural boundaries like that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, you could th- I'm trying to think about it. Me too. It's like <laughs> B. Takeshi, but he was mostly known for his acting here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't come over with his his vaudevillian act or anything. Yeah, no one comes. Comedians is something. Comedy is something that's so hard to cross those cultural boundaries to begin with. Like I, I imagine, mm-hmm. you know, it's so, especially in Japan when so much of it is lame. I think I yeah. think Pink Lady was the last Japanese act to make it over here intact. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But uh, yeah, I mean. What else can I think of? It's like musical acts or something. Yeah, music is something that's easy to to listen to, even if you don't understand what's going on. Mm. But like a co- a comedian is so based in in, in his culture and wordplay and things like yeah. that. And there's a lot of stuff in Game Center CX. They they are very tongue in cheek. It is still very humorous. There's a lot of stuff like completely goes over my head with my rudimentary Japanese. Mm-hmm. But e- e- what I do get it's rudimentary, like, it's then I'm a freaking baby. <laughs> I'm uh, like a zygote. Yeah, <laughs> in that case. Okay. <laughs> stages of life here. Kind of segues into the next thing I wanted to bring up, which is like, why should anybody watch this, or why do we like it? And I would just like to say, first of all, that it's just funny. It's a funny show because it's true. And well, I'm not really true, but it's relatable. Mm-hmm. It's super relatable because the video game experience is not always about being awesome at video games from the first get go. It's about trying to surmount them. And Arino does this on the show, and he goes through these things that we all did. With those games, especially if it's games that you know we we recognize and have played before, like Mario stuff or Mega Man or Punch Out. But that's not also not to say that you don't know you can't relate if it's if it's a game you never played before, if it's Japan only or something, because there's lots of those on the show as well. Just because you know the language of old games is pretty universal, mm-hmm. especially if he's playing some really hard action game. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really matter whether you played or not; you can see what's happening and see that he's suffering. <laughs> And a lot of ways you get to see the best parts of these games because every now and then that, that it peaks my nostalgia or for some of these Japanese right. games, like, oh, I want to try that out. And yeah, after exactly. watching the show, then you go to try it and you're like, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One stage of that is more than enough. Exactly. I mean that is that added bonus is that you get to see most of a game you probably would have never tried otherwise. Like, you know, you know, I sort of come from, you know, sampling thousands of NES ROMs where that were not named anything specific as a kid, you know, just going through them and try, trying, trying to play them but not really getting anywhere. And it's like, oh, they sort of show up on the show now. And it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And now I can actually see what it was like. <laughs> Without so, having to go through the pain yeah. of yourself. So that's or ba- cheating. Yeah. So that's basically how I think, you know, what makes it so great. Um, and also some other things. Like even though it's it's kind of a low-budget show, I mean it's just him sitting in a room, kind of this cramped room once you see the people behind the camera. Uh, it's low budget for a TV show, but it's kind of high budget compared to anything you'll find on YouTube from, you know, let's right, sure. or what have you. Yeah, I think um, I think something worth mentioning is the fact that it has a narrator who's constantly kind of providing 
a window yeah. into what's happening and also at the same time making a lot of fun of RNO and uh, <laughs> like one of the recurring themes is how old he is which kind of gets me right in the heart hmm. because he's like two years older than me but it's like <laughs> yeah. here's a man who spent his 30s playing video games and he can't <laughs> pass this level uh, so to me that like the the narration really kind of brings everything together and, and helps you know with the compression of it and, and helps you kind of understand the agony they, they yeah. do a really good job with the editing yes uh, very tightly edited because out of necessity because it's an hour long show and it's like a 14 hour 14 hours worth of tape that I have to go through yeah, yeah this isn't like a literal let's play where these guys play through an entire game like this is it's fun because it is condensed you do get to see yeah. the best parts not only of the game but but of the show itself yeah. so and they have real graphics and they have these tense music buttons and yeah. all this other stuff that really you know makes it feel like a real TV show instead of just you know Joe Schmo's YouTube. One thing I noticed, lots of just stolen music, which I love as a podcast well, maker. Well, I mean, yeah, quote-unquote stolen. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, there was, I mean, they didn't, like, go to the music vault and, and break it open, but they were just like, ah, this will be fine. But I know, like, yeah. Japanese culture is much more permissive about things like that. Well, this is uh, owned by, or sort of well, owned not by Sony. TV. <laughs> Sony's not super into that. Yeah. But, this I mean, is... I see that on Japanese game shows all the time when yeah. I watch them. I'm just like, oh, that's, that's a song from Azamanga Daio you just used for some reason. I don't know if yeah. you're allowed to, but... More power to you. I think it's sort of the same in, like, the UK. Like, the BBC sort of has this sort of carte blanche sort of music mm. library that they can pull from. And the licensing, I guess, is not as difficult or something like that. So I think it's sort of the same case in Japan where they just have, like, a giant database of stuff and they just pick and choose whatever fits the mood, basically. Yeah, and they don't, and have, so to worry have, about, they don't have to worry about YouTube strikes either. Exactly. Yeah. That's part of it as well. And so it, and it's just done by a team of people who knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a sort of authenticity to this that I never saw on any of the attempts at making a cable station about video games. Like, I think people were so concerned with making games look cool that yep. the act of playing video games is not necessarily cool, so you would never see that. Like, you would never see someone playing a game on, like, G4 or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, I never did. I would just see, like, here's a trailer or, like, here's a review or whatever. So I think if, that, like... Oh, go ahead. And if old games come up, it's under the context of, oh, man, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean... Like, it's like a tongue-in-cheek thing. It's like a throwaway thing. There's a sense of humility here that I, that I love that Mm-hmm. They're not like, oh man, we're so cool because we're playing games. It's just like, no, no, just an old, just an old dude playing yeah. a game and he's having fun with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to get on a, a soapbox a little bit, I, I think this is a, a case of of an instance where something has a fan base and it's it's successful for what it is. It's not going to get super huge. It's not going to get as big as it could be if it were like using new games and got sponsorships from Microsoft yeah, and yeah. Sony. But it, it is what it is, and it's that size, and they can continue doing it at that size. They don't have to get bigger. It's not like he's bringing in crazy guest stars and trying to just expand mm-hmm. the scope of it beyond what he's able to do. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's totally much. fine. Yeah. Whereas I think something like trying to do something like that in America would, wouldn't be successful because a corporation always wants it to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's another point I wanted to make is that, you know, as much as people got into it because of fan subs over the last couple of years, you know, I never thought it was that impenetrable if it wasn't subtitled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've shown the raw episodes to friends and coworkers and coworkers' friends and even my mom, you know, and it's all worked out pretty well. Justin here is the product of me trying to like mm. push it on people because we would watch it every every week or so in the one up office once I got the new episodes or what have you, and you know, that was that was fun. We got a tiny group, but you know some people were happy to to see it along with uh, everything else that we were doing. Like the Japanese adds flavor, but. The whole crux of it is the game and watching you – know, and that, that's a universal language. Like yeah. you watch him and you know how he's feeling yeah. because he wears it on his face very – he wears on his sleeve very much how yeah. he is. Uh, but there were still times where I had to get people to watch it, you know. Uh, 
I wouldn't say exactly Jeremy, but uh, you know he hasn't. <laughs> he, he wasn't. He wasn't there with us every week in the in, in staying. What, was it uh, not sub for a while? I remember I wanted to watch it, but that kept me away, and I wasn't there, sure when the fan subs actually started for the show. Let me have Jeremy defend. Oh, himself. sure, but Jeremy. <laughs> now you may defend yourself. I guess. No, I was I was really interested in the show. Uh, my problem is I just never have time to watch it. Yeah. Um, that's been my my problem with with basically life is just not having yes. enough time. So. Yeah. No, I've, I've thought it was a fantastic idea since the beginning. And, you know, back when you first introduced it to me, I really wanted to just completely rip it off for one up. But mm-hmm. um, that wasn't really <laughs> practical because that was right around yeah. the time that the staff went through like a 60, 70 percent shrinkage because of the, the buyout. Yeah, yeah, yeah very sad. <laughs> anyway, Bob, you were saying I forgot what I was saying. Oh. You know. were talking about fan subs and when that. Oh happened. right, right. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I didn't watch it until it was fan subbed, and I have a feeling it was like almost semi recently. Like there, I don't know. There was a very bad fan sub group who did like a couple episodes and took forever, and they were cutting things out, and they were bad to begin with. Hmm. So we don't talk about them. <laughs> um, but then around you know 2011 was a sort of this double, <laughs> sort of this double header of uh, Gawker had licensed the show and was putting it on Kotaku at the same time. People from something awful uh, from their forums started subtitling it I as see. well. And so are we not allowed to talk about the dub? Because I saw some of that. Oh, no, that's fine. Okay. Uh, we can talk about it a little later, though. Yeah, if, if that's maybe. cool. But, uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, okay. So, yeah. Jeremy's in the clear. He's good. But, you know, some <laughs> other people who outside of our circles I had started to get, get to watch. And uh, the, they're not here today. <laughs> that's why. Let's call them out. Yeah. People yeah. who may have been on Retronauts before. Hint, hint. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was not the first person uh, Ray no. called up to be on this. I'm not a first. I'm not a first draft pick. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, it's okay, actually. Uh, it's worked out. But you know, times have changed. It doesn't really matter anymore whether I have to get people to watch it or not. I mean, it's just that you can and you should watch it without having me without me having to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you should. You should really go around to everybody's no. house and go like, "Hey, yeah, you, you have some space on your computer. Have you, you heard the good word?" <laughs> um, <laughs> Subscribe to the Cacho Tower. Yeah. <laughs> this is where the uniform go door to door. There's yeah. always Scientologists at the Powell Street Station. Just set up your own table yeah. with, like, your own little, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. e-reader that that reads, like, interest in retro um, yeah. Game Center CX. So it will actually be a, actually be a Game Boy e-reader. <laughs> so uh, we're all sold on the, the show, but for people that you have introduced it to that, that didn't take to it, why have they said they weren't as interested in it? Well, I'm sure, in fairness, a lot of it was probably in the same reason that Jeremy just mentioned. Like, people who don't have a lot of time for it, mm-hmm. you know. They're interested in the idea, but they just didn't really catch on at the time and they didn't really they didn't really work with me all day so they can have me also pitch pitch it to them all the time so that that's it really and as much as it is compressed it's still an hour-long commitment yeah yeah it is an hour um yeah uh but you know now there's like there's a american release dvd set and uh that was sort of borrowed from the from the kotaku version um but it's also borrowed from the japanese version where they just split up the episodes into like they basically extract the segments from one another. So it's not full episodes on the DVDs and it's all kind of a random assortment. Uh, again, kind of like Mystery Science Theater in a way. Mm. <laughs> not all in order. Um, but, you know, take out the extra segments and the actual – the challenge segment, the main part of the show is usually about half an hour, three or five minutes mm-hmm. or so. Unless yeah. they do a director's cut, and it's usually an hour. And it's really hard to translate some of those segments over. Like, so I, I think there's one yeah. that's really funny is, is where he reads from uh, game guides from yeah. back in the day, but he uses like a, a Buddhist. So it's like a it's Buddhist, Buddhist monk priest. reads yeah. uh, something yeah. from uh, a game strategy guide and then tries to relate it to a life lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, yeah, that was a very cute <laughs> segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but hard to like. I can see that as being a little weird to to bring over. I, I, I yeah. Well, in the sense of like it being a Buddhist monk, sure, but I don't think it's too hard to translate. I mean, people can get the idea of it. But that actually leads me to one of my last points: is that. In a way, you know, this show has kind of taught people about Japan through this video game lens. Mm-hmm. Um, not just like game culture and stuff, but you know, we we can see Arno go to these different arcades and the candy shops and stuff. Like people think, you know, okay, the arcades in Japan are great, and you know, but there's many different kinds of them, and they're all different sizes. But there's also this sort of thing about the candy shops, where it's usually like these old people running these little shops that the kids will run to after school or what have you. And they'll usually have a couple of arcade games outside. And that is sort of like this nostalgic touchstone for a lot of Japanese people. And so Arno will visit these places as well and try out the games there and probably have to kneel down because it's these special little kid-sized arcade (laughs) cabinets. But you get that sort of sense to it too. And, you know, he'll also just go around and, you know, eat different foods. (laughs) I mean, even you get introduced to different kinds of food in Japan. Like just today I was watching it and he goes and checks out this place that was selling, you know, like miso potatoes, miso sauce covered potatoes. Like, Mm. yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Why not? And and then, of course, you know, you also get to learn about different kinds of video games that you never heard about and just watch him play. Because there's also another segment where they just do like uh, three games from – three Famicom games from some year or whatever. They've been going chronologically. It's not quite Contendo, but it's like a little tiny bit. They'll show a game and then a little clip of it and describe what it was. And that's just another side segment. So you also get a little bit more of uh, sampling of what Japanese games were like back then. And it's something I think that served by these old arcade-style experiences. It's not something I think that would work as well with the games that we have today. Like mm-hmm. he, you really couldn't do this with like Grand Theft Auto V. No, Mm-mm. not so much. <laughs> no, you really do need sort of that simplicity of an old game and it's just – where you can very clearly see your, see the character dying. I, th- I think, I think there's, a, there's a pretty large swath of indie games that would work really well with the style of play. And I, I think – a lot of indie games have kind of caught on uh, in, in large part because people have played them on YouTube and done this sort of taken this sort of approach. Maybe not as expertly as as uh, Arno, but um, mm-hmm. you know that that still has translated somewhat. But it, you're right; it definitely has to be the right kind of game. And it's those indie games that do channel those cl- those classic experiences yeah. that that exactly. we think of as retro yeah. and and from our childhood. But. Yeah, I'd love to see him take on Shovel Knight. That would be fantastic. <laughs> right. Or Spelunky. Yeah, right. <laughs> Super Meat Boy. Right. Um, that's another thing that reminds me is that, you know, there's some really good episodes you might not even think were that good, like uh, quiz games. Mm-hmm. Like Japan had this whole genre, genre of quiz games that, you know, present you with different sorts of questions on different topics and you sort of do it as like a time – you're under a time constraint and so on and so forth. But, you know, they're kind of they're kind of the funnier ones because you can mm-hmm. see Arino just sort of struggle and find out what these questions are and have to ask the staff mm-hmm. and they put up signs and what they think their answer is. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, you probably wouldn't even think that would be that great, but it is. And, you know, it's, it's not one of those typical action games. So that's just another thing that makes this show so fun. Yeah, I mean, it's getting to see those kind of games that, that never came over to the West in, in any form. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I've tried not to talk too much this episode, but I, I don't know how well that's gone, really. But uh, oh my god, shut up, Ray! <laughs> uh, so yeah. rambling. Uh, I wanted to give a voice to Joey and, and you guys as well. I mean, 
Bob, uh, yeah. have you just watched it for the first time recently? or Only within the past few years have I watched okay. it. Uh, and I'm sorry, Ray. I feel really bad. Uh, I still have yeah. to play Attack of the Friday Monsters too. So oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to leave? I can leave. Uh, no, I mean like uh, I don't – later. No, I actually feel deep regret for not um, – Watching this earlier because I'm way into Let's Plays. I have been since they started going onto like Google Video, yeah. like in 2007. Yeah, uh, street cred, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. And uh, and I was reading them when they were you know just like pictures and text only. So this is like right up my alley. It just was the um, the lack of uh, subtitles really that scared me away. Just because like I want to know. I know, like, you know, Japanese expressions of frustration and, and joy, but I, I want to hear, like, them talking about the games and breaking them down, things like that. And, yeah, I've, I've been watching a bunch lately, and uh, I really love it. I mean, um, mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I'm filled with deep regret for not uh, jumping on earlier. Now I have, like, 18 seasons worth of shows to go through, so I'm excited. <laughs> a very short 145 hours. Yeah, yeah. Hours. yeah. I'm going to portion it out throughout the year. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite episode of the batch you watched? Or? So far, my favorite is uh, Golgo 13. Oh, okay. Just because yeah. of my – it's like kind of like a catharsis because I had so many problems with that game. Mm-hmm. I, I still can't play it. But just to see him <laughs> just struggle through it, uh, to see the the uncensored parts that are you know in the Japanese version that are – you know you see naked women and it's just like, oh, I forgot about this. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it just – it's great. I love it. Also Battletoads as well that was brought up. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it just these things that I have direct experience with that yeah. – um, are, are the best for me. And I'll watch other ones too, but I just like seeing him go through the motions as yeah. I did like 30 years ago. And again, and again, like I was saying about it being relatable, it's like you have now 18 seasons worth of shows and you are, you will find a game that you have played before or at least yeah, yeah. you're interested in. And yeah, I think the, those Western games are the ones that we find most relatable. Like, oh, I, I played this growing up and so like I remember those episodes the best. Mm-hmm. But Takeshi's Challenge is actually uh, an episode that stands out so clearly in my head. Mm-hmm. Even though like such a weird game and a game that I don't, never came to the West but that introduced – like I'd heard oh, yeah. so much about – like it's such an infamous game that finally getting someone to – getting to watch someone play through this game that's – that I wouldn't you – know, I would never watch anyone otherwise mm-hmm. and see exactly how batshit insane yeah. it is. Yeah. That was the very first episode and then he also played it again in a two-hour live challenge. Mm-hmm. So you can look for those and uh, yeah, see more of that. Like someone actually made this. Why did you yeah. make this game? Why are you horrible? Like, yeah. Why do you hate humanity? And now that game's been fan translated in English. <laughs> so you can find a patch for that as well. Jeremy, anything stick out uh, to you over the years while you're watching it or – yeah, I mean, I've been pretty hit or miss with watching things. I, I had a really heartfelt, sincere desire to watch the episodes kind of in release order, but just really haven't been able to make the time for it. But I did pick up the um, Retro Game Master DVD that came out last year or the year before yeah. and kind of watched through that in a in a blur last summer. And there were some really good episodes of that. I really, yeah. I think maybe the, the two that stuck with me most are... Um, the uh, when he takes on Tecmo's early Famicom platform puzzlers, uh, Mighty Bomb Jack and Solomon's Key, uh, right. the Mighty the Mighty Bomb Jack in particular because it's such an event, um, <laughs> yes. and you know his victory there is is totally skin of the teeth. So like it's genuinely exciting to watch him just barely eke out these victories. Yeah, that um, one in particular, that was a three-parter where the first two parts take place at, at the office, and then the third part is where they do a live stage show. It was like their first one hmm. that they did. <laughs> so there's just a theater full of people just watching this happen and cheering them on. And that was just amazing at first to see it at first. And then they did like the 24-hour challenge like a couple years later. And then the last part of that also takes place in the theater. <laughs> it's just insanity. And there's other there's other theater ones like that that are pretty good. I mean, they're all yeah, all pretty amazing. But I, I'm um, also I'm also fascinated by some of the more impenetrable early Famicom action adventure games. 
like Atlantis Nonazo. Mm-hmm. Uh, these games are just so opaque, and s- they were just not designed to be easily completed by anyone. And for yeah. him to uh, to kind of throw his his curious. Um, curiously inconsistent skills in video games against these like super hard video games, super obscure. Um, even you know, even with the help of the people he's working with, and them pulling out strategy guides and things like that from back in the day, it's always a fascinating struggle. And you know, at the same time, like you can look at these games and think, I can see how that would have had a big impact on someone in nineteen eighty four, eighty five. But oh my god, that is just not a well designed game by by any contemporary standard. So it, it's hmm. it's kind of um like almost a fascinating archaeological experience in addition to being, you know, funny and and a little bit empathetic with his his challenges. So let's see what else. Um I have some points that were brought to me by Joey. I'm just kind of going to try and like, cherry pick them or you know, do my best here. Um, but, you know, we did mention, like, the, the staffers, the assistant directors, the ADs specifically, who are usually, like, these uh, younger guys who, you know, are new hires at the company, basically. Well, and their job... AD is a, a, technically assistant director, but in, in this case, it was usually more like an intern position. Or like a PA. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they were learning, you know, off <laughs> off of Games RCX, because some of them do move did move on to be actual directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they're, they are, their job, once, <laughs> once they're told to be on Games RCX, is to basically play through the game, whatever game it is, uh, before taping happens, and basically become experts in it hmm. <laughs> beforehand, so that when Arino does eventually screw up so badly, they can go walk over and actually give some tips, or sometimes even a map that they handmade or a diorama. Someone, <laughs> I, I love it when they would bring out the whiteboard behind and they would yeah. like draw the diagram of like, all right, here's how you're going to yeah. get past this next challenge. You that, to- <laughs> that is a big element is the whiteboard. Yeah, that's used a lot, uh, especially well, especially in the earlier episodes. Like, yeah, they were actually diagramming out like mm-hmm. jump patterns and things like that, and that that's happened also in recent ones. And it's always it's always funny to see because you, then you're just like, this is so crazy. <laughs> this is exactly how absurd the show is. Yeah. <laughs> Because Arino just needs to have this hammered into his head and <laughs> and then apply it. Um, so th- those those guys, there's been uh, several of them now. Gosh, I mean, well, it's I, almost I, I only one or two a about, season. Yeah, I only had to worry about like five when when I started writing about it. But now, but yeah, no, that's just a bunch of different uh, young guys and some women as well uh, since then. And um, you know, they are ha- they all had their extra quirks mostly because you know Arino will tease them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eventually, and then you know they'll get teased for even you know, stuff like uh, just having a, too much of a squinty face or wearing a cardigan <laughs> or things of that nature. And so, because of that, you know they sort of grow a character through the show, and then the fans sort of appreciate them for that. And then they just become this sort of like nice like second star to the show. I always feel bad for them at the end of a show where he doesn't beat it, and then it's like midnight, and then they, like you just have that sigh of resignation as they're like, and now mm. I have to record yeah. the rest of this. So there was one really egregious example was when he played <laughs> Adventure Island, uh, Arno did, and uh, couldn't beat it. And uh, so the AD at the time, uh, Urukawa, he had to basically sit there and play through it to get to the ending because that's what he's supposed to, what Arno's supposed to do all the time, just find the ending. Um, but Adventure Island was even too much for even Urukawa because he was just playing it all through the night, <laughs> I think for an extra whole day even, and you know eventually just finally beat it after like I think 28 hours of straight playing. There's mm. <laughs> something that they said. But somehow they got through super ghouls and ghosts and ghosts right. and goblins. Like, 
that that baffles me more. Mm-hmm. That Arino was the one who was able to to get through. He got through Ghosts and Goblins at least the first time. Mm-hmm. He didn't go for the second ending, but yeah. Uh, but after that, they they stop. They they've showed the eighties beating the game, but not. Mm-hmm. They didn't show. The, they didn't have the camera pointed on. It's just yeah. like in a clip over the credits, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you get to see the ending. They don't. Well, I mean, my point is, they don't. Yeah. They're not showing the eighties suffer anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just saying like, hey, he beat it. Here it is. Here's the proof. <laughs> That's basically it. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, but this, you know, is the, into the larger point is that you know Arno is the star basically, but they do have a bunch of people that come in behind behind the camera because it's such a low budget sort of like almost like a family type outfit in a way. You get introduced to these other people behind the mm-hmm. camera, even the actual camera guy um, Abe, uh, Mr. Abe. He who was like he's older than Arno. I think he's almost fifty now, but he was this guy who used to be a delinquent and he, he kind of still has a pompadour hairstyle to mm-hmm. him. He's sort of a scary-looking guy, but he's also pretty—he's pretty—he's pretty, he's pretty uh, jocular, uh, you know. And he was really into motorcycles, and so whenever Arno will find like a hang-on arcade machine somewhere, you know, he'll have Abe play it, and he'll kick <laughs> ass at it. Well, Arno will usually, you know, ride in the ride on the back, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do, but it's it's funny. It's you know, it's for comedic effect. And so they I, go on location a lot, so you get to see more of those guys. And yes, exactly. And they interact with. Uh, Abe's also a great cook, apparently, really good uh, gourmet type guy, and uh, he's also a father. So people like him a lot because he's really no nonsense sometimes, and he's he's, he's uh, just another source of comedy. Um, there's also the narrator, uh, Khan, Mr. Khan, who's also the uh, producer of the show, and uh, he's also you know he's the narrator, so he'll be the one sort of scolding Ari, you know, as as we watch, and <laughs> we'll also be sitting in the back and you know, sort of hmm. being. Kind of stern sometimes as well, and that's his character. That's just like a sampling of the different people you will find on the show. Especially if nothing else, the ads will usually pop on camera enough, and you can see Arno make fun of them every once in a while. And there's another thing, as mentioned, there was the American release of the DVD and there was the stuff on Kotaku as well. But there hasn't really been a, like a homegrown USA version of Game Center CX. And I think uh, <laughs> I think that's for many different reasons. <laughs> and they really do go all out for the Japanese versions. Like, too. Yeah. You get a business – there was one set where you get the business card with it. One, I think one oh, of the yeah, first you, ones you, you got stock in the company huh. in Game Center CX. Yeah. Well, every DVD set in Japan comes with a different business card mm-hmm. is, and, and other different trinkets uh, depending on what it is. Like they even have like a fold-out board game kind of thing. It's all super fan service stuff in, in that comes in those DVD sets. Um, but you know, people sort of uh, – the fans, they like to uh, fantasize like, oh, who do you think would be a good uh, host of the uh, American Game Series CX or whatnot? And a lot of people got uh, really on to the fact that Robin Williams would be good. I, what? <laughs> no. I guess because he goes to E3 <laughs> and his daughter's name Zelda. Well, he's a comedian and he does like video games a lot. So yeah. I, I don't know that his brand of comedy would really be compatible with this. Yeah. He's not he's not so much about the self-effacing jokes and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh you know other people have seen uh like Conan O'Brien, he does his clueless gamer sketch on his show. People sort of not 
uh, fantasized about him being the host, but sort of like compared it to Game Series CX that way. In, I, in a way, Conan is a little bit more cynical. Right. Like I don't think that we would get something that's I, this just nostalgia yeah. and, and not saccharine, but very, very sweet. Like this is very – this is not trying to be a, a modern, cynical, like let's make fun of games in any way. Like yeah. this is just let's have fun and remember our childhood kind of show for from, from Game Center CX. Plus, you know, Conan's a different kind of nerd. Yes, <laughs> he's, he's a bit. He's a bit more literary. He was never really. He doesn't have any sort of dem- demonstrable love of video games, as even Arno had, because Arno is an established otaku. Basically, that's sort of his his thing <laughs> as a comedian as well, because he'll talk about all the old anime and manga he liked and the old games as well. And so I think you know, and Conan is not really into that stuff. He's not really into that tech stuff, or even like <laughs> contemporary entertainment of that sense, really. Oh dear God, Ray! I just I just remembered something. Hmm. Uh, this is not TV, but there was in a – I don't know if it's still going on, but there was an attempt to kind of make this kind of a show again um, with Tommy Wiseau. Oh, right. What was it called? The Tommy Wiseau Show. The Tommy Wiseau Show, right. And it was like him <laughs> playing a game. Um, I, forget, I think it was Machinima or something like that. It was yeah, him yeah. playing a game. You know and he obviously has no – he's not in touch with reality in any sense. So he can't play a video game either. Oh. So like an alien will give him like instructions or like tell him what to do. So it's just yeah, – it's, it's, it's like Tommy – science theater elements. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Tommy Wiseau being Tommy Wiseau while playing a video game. So if that's enough to get you on board, um, that's – that's somewhat similar. And but it was like brand new video games. Yeah. It was playing World Combat. That's true. I forget. I, I didn't remember if the games were old or not, but yeah. um, it was it was sort of similar. Yeah. And Conan also just plays brand new games that are mm. su- supplied by the publisher. <laughs> I like the disgust and raised voices at the Tommy West show. <laughs> well, it's just I, a stupid, is, stupid name. I agree. I agree. And that is correct. Dumb idea. But hey, <laughs> at least they somehow got Tommy West. I just want to hear Tommy Wiseau so talk. He needs a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's really the point of all the, anything <laughs> he's in is that people just want to hear him talk. It would be hard to get something like this greenlit in, in the U.S. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean that's, that's basically the answer. But it is more complicated than that because it also involves the perception of television in America and Japan, that being that America makes more of it and better. <laughs> And just the way that video games are viewed in mass media, which is not great. Mm. And, you know, and then there's that big asshole called the Internet that is apparently, you know, is basically just taken that torch and run with it. You know, the retro game, mm-hmm. old game, any sort of game coverage is basically just now on, on YouTube, on, you know, on the Internet. And yeah, if you were going to watch something like this, I, I would expect to watch it on the Internet. Yeah. I wouldn't I, – I don't tune into TV. Like TV to me is Netflix yeah. or Hulu yeah, or stuff yeah. on the Internet. Same here. Yeah, my girlfriend was watching it with me. She's like, why didn't America have any of this on TV, a show like this? I was like, because it – like the Internet has made TV irrelevant. Like a streamer can now get more hits with one video than like Jon Stewart's show can get in a night. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like – it's you a different – more money. More you money get, too, yeah. You get more control over what you're creating. Mm-hmm. Like – for something like this to exist, it would have to be on the internet. But yeah, but then there was also yeah. G4 who struggled for years to try and make some sort of relevant yeah. video game coverage on television. It just didn't work out because you know most people, most people who would watch that would just go ahead and play the games, or they're already on top of the news. Yeah, <laughs> and you know things like that, as we just sort of we sort of implied earlier, is that you know the, that's not really what these creators want of these producers of these shows or networks and stuff like they don't see the value in just making a sort of goofy show like that that's about retro games mm-hmm. they'd rather just make you know ironic asides about techno yeah. bowl or what have you something that at its heart i think is very sweet like game center cx is just it a is. very it's nostalgia and just mm-hmm. kind of being a, a kid 
Yeah, it's like kind of like the opposite of the angry video game nerd where he yeah. never gets angry. He's always just uh, – right. he just like sighs with like – you know, he accepts the, the horrible things that happen to him. There's never a point where he's like throwing things or exactly. – um, even his staff, when, when he messes up, they're really polite. Like they take breaks to help him. They don't just like yeah. jump in or like shout, you know, things to do. Like, oh, you should have jumped in. It's just like every, everybody's like really controlled. I don't know. The, the, the attitude is just like so much better than what I see on the internet, you know, for the yeah. most part. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure in reality the angry video game nerd just sits there and does the same thing. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. But, like, the, <laughs> no, fa- I, the, the facade of, like, we need to have an extreme emotion in this video or else no one will watch it, that's not happening in this show. And that know? extreme emotion cannot just be happiness. Yeah, it can be fear or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But see, see, are, the, the thing that Arno helps keep in check is that he has the, those pads that he puts on his face. Yeah, what are those? What do they do? They those, are just, those are just uh, cooling pads. Okay, I wasn't sure if they were like absorbing sweat or something. But when he breaks those out, you know it's serious. Yeah. Okay. They, keep, they keep your temperature down so that you're not going get, to get a fever or get too hot. I see. Uh, I believe they are a Japanese invention, but you can find them in America. Hmm. Walk down to the Walgreens after the show. I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, I so mean, that when you start to lose your temper, you can put one on, write I, some words of encouragement on it. Oh, I see. I was glad I found them because, you know, it helped uh, complete my costume. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, because, again, I mean, we – as an aside, you know, I, ha- I did buy find, – I did find a way to buy the official uh, uniform. Actually, like, three of them because there – one, there was one that was officially embroidered with the logo. That one you had to order directly from Fuji's website. Then I got two others that were just blank, but they were the same exact type. <laughs> they were the same model, um, quote-unquote model of the suit. Mm-hmm. So I got those as well, and then that helped make my costumes. I got two of the green ones and then the blue variant <laughs> Wow! <laughs> from season four. Uh, so you can then, start recording anytime. We should, this should be a video podcast where you're wearing yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had – you know, I had I, – before I was on that USA show, you know, I was wearing it when we did uh, live streams at One Up mm-hmm. and such as you know, just for a goof and for Halloween costumes. Sometimes I did, I did, I debuted it as a Halloween yeah. costume. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, yeah, God, that was so long ago now. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but again, on the subject of like trying to like uh, Americanize it, it's like they already did try to sell it to international markets, yeah. uh, and then they failed. Then they settled for a lesser product with the Kotaku version because then that was you know that was not quite as well produced as what they were originally planning uh, a couple of years prior. Um, so I mean it is it is <laughs> it's kind of a complicated answer, but it just it mostly boils down to perception. And there say. were several games based very loosely on the show, or at least from the ideas of the show. We had retro game center. What was it called? Then a retro game challenge. Right. The games. Yes. Yeah. Which. Yeah. I mean, the, the first game didn't sell well enough in the States to have the sequel. There was a sequel made in Japan, but that was not brought here, and mm. it's, it's not going to be. I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take some time with the games a bit later, for sure. But yes, that is a very good point. But that was also like, you know, a way that people got introduced to the show, mm-hmm. and yet didn't, because then people were like, what, there's a show? <laughs> or what, there was a game? Yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways with people. That's pretty funny. Um, and then, of course, you know, there are other people who then see, see Game Center CX and they fall in love with it and then they try and do their own little version of it on YouTube, for example. Mm-hmm. There was this very odd sort of like Kickstarter for something where a guy tried to get – he lived in Japan and tried to get like low-rent Japanese female models to like play these games or something Oh, like my that. God. Uh, and I, yeah. I forget the details because it's not totally worth talking about. But <laughs> yeah, that's not what made – that's not what makes that show interesting and fun. No. It's not already no sex appeal because yeah. <laughs> he has he has some. I'm not going to say none, but mm-hmm. it's not not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Miles, anything else that you guys wanted to mention? No, I mean, just in general, I think the attitude of the show is is hard to translate because we are cynical, a cynical group, mm-hmm. a cynical crowd. So we need something else aside from like a frumpy looking guy in an office, you know, uh, taking everything in, in good humor. Yeah, and we're also, you know, like 15 years out from Iron Chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people appreciated that because it was like ironic and funny and look at the funny dub and all that. And But now we have Iron Chef America, which tends to take itself seriously <laughs> except for the uh, chairman, Mark DeCascos, who uses funny faces. Mm. But uh, <laughs> a, a lot of humor in, in English and in America is sarcasm. Like sarcastic humor is something that's very funny yeah. where you say something that doesn't mean what you mean. And when I was living in Japan, the first time I tried – like I was mm-hmm. trying to explain what sarcasm was and like, oh, they have a word for that. And so they looked it up and they're like, the word for that is being – mean. <laughs> I was like, oh, that is true. Like I had to examine and it my, hasn't been used since the 1700s. <laughs> I had to examine my own like behavior because at one point I was in grad school with a uh, Japanese student who was my friend who didn't speak really great English and I realized like everything I say is like behind five layers of irony so I'm like, how do I talk to this person? <laughs> and now look at Then I was like, oh my god, what am, what am I? Uh, <laughs> all right, so what else? Well, there was also a Game Center CX movie released uh, earlier this year or uh, yeah. Um Ah, <laughs> <laughs> whoa! It was it, from everything I've seen and read. It's just a big letdown. Hmm. So, was the movie like a like a version? I didn't see this. Was it an episode or was it an animated version of Arino on Adventures? I wish, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I want there to be an anime. Unfortunately, like a- it was more of the former because uh, they tried to do I think two things at once and they didn't really succeed at either. So, there's basically two parts of the movie. One part is this actual fictional story about this little boy in uh, 1986 and he uh, you know he's fantasizing about getting this girl but he's also has these treasured video games that are like stolen by a bully or something of that sort. Anyway, it's an actual real sort of cinematic uh, story and there's a bunch of different cameos from people on the show and different like game developers show up in cameos. So that's neat. That's cool. But there's also this giant other half of the show which is basically just that Mighty Bomb Jack stage show episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Just like completely. It's just like this weird sort of like intercutting uh, between or jumping between the two at times where it's just like the, it's it's just a TV show. And it, that was back when the show was not in HD. So it's like you're watching this <laughs> giant 4-3 episode on the movie screen. And there just doesn't seem to be a real tie behind it except for the fact that you know he's playing Mighty Bomb Jack and the kid's treasured game is also Mighty Bomb Jack. So you also get this weird, I guess, you know, Tecmo uh, promotions part of it. In um in Japan though, isn't there kind of a different expectation for what a movie will bring you because aren't there just like movies that are clips of animated shows just smashed together? It's like it's the so and so movie well, or whatever. Well, yes and no. Okay. I mean, yeah, there's anime movies and Yeah. I mean, movies based on anime TV shows that are not that great, uh, not that well produced, you know, or Pokemon movies, for example. Yeah. They're not going to be quite on the level as a Ghibli movie. Um, but then there's also I mean, J- Japan has had superhero movies, you know, like stuff based on old manga and anime that were live action. You know, they they don't always have the greatest CG. Mm. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then it's just you know other stuff like other spin-offs of TV shows and things of that sort. It sounds so like it's just going for a very different theme and feel than what makes that show popular. I think it's 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 just weird because they tried. I think they just starkly split it between. Things that fans of the show would like, and then something that newcomers would like. So at the end, so it, it's like here's here's an episode for people who haven't seen the show before, and here's also a fun story for people who were. Into, does into the, the girl show come before. on stage at the end as he's playing? Like, and I've loved no. you all along. 
No, there's none of that. Hmm. No, I mean it's it's, it's – They literally don't tie them together. It is 100 percent separate because this story <laughs> takes place in 1986. Well, meanwhile – oh, here's this episode that was filmed in 2008. <laughs> hmm. Weird. See, yeah. See, I can already tell you. I wish it. Was, I wish it was just all took place in 1986, and Arno was maybe a star or something. He ran an arcade or something, and then brought all the kids in, or, something. or maybe he goes back Wouldn't in time. Weird? Yeah, something. Like that. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just throwing out pitches here. Yeah. <laughs> How can we get Mountain Doing this? Or just make it like the Mystery Science Theater movie. Just make an episode that's just nicely cinematic. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it would have better thought, lighting. Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. have imagined that it's just, it was just a an episode of the show. Yeah. Like, that's the surface idea. In a really nice office, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I – yeah, that was a real letdown. I have not actually seen all of it yet, so I know I haven't – you know, I'm not providing the great criti- critical eye here, uh, proper journalistic <laughs> critical eye here. But um, everything I've heard and seen is just uh, too bad. But uh, I'll, I'll watch it one way or another. Um I think they were trying to actually uh, distribute it to like film festivals over here as well. Hmm. I don't know if that ever happened yet or will hmm. or maybe already has <laughs> once you listen to this. But uh, maybe you'll find a way to watch it one way or another. think is like a good roundup of what Game Center CX is. Um, but uh, as we just mentioned, there were also Game Center CX games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Retro Game Challenge for the DS, which was released uh, a few years ago. And uh, we definitely have talked about this <laughs> a lot <laughs> on Retronauts and 1UP and places of that sort. So, I mean, uh, those of you listening to the show probably already know what Retro Game Challenge is. But uh, in case you don't, it is basically a selection of Fake retro games that are not sp- explicitly based on Game Center CX, but they feature like this story part where you have this uh, digitized demon version of Arino who sort of sends you back in time, and you meet the child version of Arino, and you play these uh, these games. And they're all short form games, but you have to basically complete challenges presented by this uh, game master demon Arino, and. Um, and when you when you beat them, you unlock magazine covers from That's the right. fake magazine covers. There's all yeah. So um, essentially, it's all it's like the show, and that's just this great big nostalgia grab. I mean, things that are not based on any real games, but a lot of referential stuff that people who were really into games back then would probably recognize. And it's cool how they they take early versions of a game and then like Haggleman, mm-hmm. and then Haggleman Two has slightly different mechanics, and like Better you could see it as a like this is something that could have been an evolution of that game. And by the third one, you're like, wow, they've learned a lot from the, those previous games. I also like that they have sequels that are just cheap cash-ins, like that, like that racing game. Like there's a second version of it where it's, where it's sponsored by Ramen, and it's yep. just the same game with yep, different yeah. colors. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a pretty clear reference to a Gradius game that yeah. came out mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, once again, we've all discussed these things, and uh, one up is still up at this point. You can probably find some blogs that I wrote about it as well. <laughs> um, but then, uh, Jeremy, you actually reviewed uh, the game for One Up, and you were also into, into into Retro Game Challenge as well. I mean, anything else that you wanted to add? Well, I think um, that that game kind of developed around the time that 
the idea of, of retro style gaming being a viable concept was starting to really build. And, mm-hmm. you know, along with Mega Man 9, that was really kind of the shining example of like, hey, you know, we can take all these lessons and concepts from old games and turn them into something that's more contemporary but still feels authentic. And yeah. um, one, one thing I really like about Retro Game Challenge is that it, in a lot of ways, it feels like a like a history lesson, even though it's not based on actual games, because it does kind of embody the trends and um, just the the tendencies that that sort of evolved throughout the Famicom era in Japan. It, it kind of is like a taking a, a sort of fictionalized guided tour through through reality. Especially if you start reading the little magazine clippings that go along with it, where they're talking about, oh, this game that you're looking forward to has been delayed. Oh, it's been delayed again. Yeah, well, it's going to come out soon. Um, so, you know, you guys mentioned Haggleman, and, and the way that that evolves really does feel like sort of a, you know, 1984 in ROM style Famicom game that's followed up by a more developed sequel that's still very faithful. And then for the third game, you know, which comes out in like, five years after the first in, in the video game timeline, it's like Ninja Gaiden. It's, it's really sophisticated and advanced. And um, I don't know, like it was very nostalgic for me, even though I didn't live through that specific era of the NES. I wasn't a Japanese right. kid in the eighties, but um, yeah, like there's, it, it's just a very smartly designed game. And it was clearly, there was clearly a lot of love put into it and a lot of personal experience. And I think that's a big part of why it works so well. But at the same time, it was developed by talented developers as opposed to, you know, people who are like, man, I like video games a lot. I'm going to make my own video game. It's going to be great. Like they, they got what was up and what it took to make good video games. And even the ones that I wasn't so crazy about, like the racer, uh, still really good games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also came out around the same time as dark void zero, which is sort of like the American made version of right. this. Um, all right. <laughs> or, uh, yeah. Wasn't Jimmy Fallon, a character in that or something yes. or for uh, part of the epic backstory yeah uh, but you know what else uh, jimmy fallon <laughs> tweeted <laughs> i'm glad you changed the subject no actually i was gonna oh. talk more about jimmy fallon he actually tweeted about playing retro game challenge after that came out oh <laughs> i was like oh hey how about that so um i think jimmy fallon does a great job of of making games feel mainstream and fun and not oh yeah not this kind of thing that's brushed off to kids oh yeah sure yeah I don't have anything against him, but yeah, it was a very odd that he was just sort of plopped into that game. <laughs> Weirdly, and I, that game did not really nail the whole 8-bit aesthetic as well as Retro Game Challenge did to me. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, uh, Retro Game Challenge, you know, did get a lot of recognition. Um, first of all, I mean, the fact that XE decided to localize it and publish it here was crazy enough, yeah. especially when Game Center CX had no presence in America whatsoever. I mean, again, they were tr- they were trying to sell it internationally. But that didn't really work out, so yeah, the presence can't was. really wait for that. But the game is really good, so they just went ahead and licensed it and localized it. Its sole presence was crunkgames.com, run by Ray Barthold. Hmm. Uh, pretty much at the time, yeah, and the crappy fan subs that we don't talk about. Yeah, you had to really go looking for the show if you really wanted to find out about it. However, you know, people who weren't who weren't into the show were loving the game. Some of those people, people who, some of whom I tried to get into the show, instead uh, went ahead and loved the game, which is fair enough because it is a really good game. One of them was Jimmy Fallon. Yes. <laughs> Damn it, Jimmy! I, he turned us down. I just kept calling and calling. 
Uh, I should have tried, actually. <laughs> I should have tried with this. Maybe you got confused and tried calling Seth Meyers. <laughs> they all look the same to me. Yeah. <laughs> Those awful um, white guys. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was just as delighted that the, the game got a, a good enough uh, recognition. And then pro- people probably went ahead and found out about the show and stuff. Because there was, like, at the, on the back of the manual, there's a reference to the show. It's like, Retro Game Master, coming soon? Mm-hmm. Um, which didn't really happen for a few years. Um, but, of course, the, the great irony about this is that at the same time Retro Game Challenge came out in America, like a couple of weeks before or after, it, the sequel came out in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Retro Game Challenge 2, let's call it. Uh, the actual Japanese name is uh, Arnold's Challenge, Game Center CX Arnold's Challenge um, or Letter Challenge or whatever. It's basically a reference to Takeshi's Challenge, mm-hmm. the, the name is. Anyway, uh, the sequel is just great. Uh, even greater than the original. It's more games. Uh, the whole art is more detailed. I mean, the the non. Well, I mean, the games are pretty good too. But uh, the whole game is just every inch of it is completely polished all the way around. Completely new games. Uh, you get you start off with sort of this Pac Man slash Draga kind of clone, and then you also have uh, a whole uh, uh, text adventure essentially or graphic adventure where it's just complete fan service because you're playing this. A character and you're investigating mysteries of, around a game company with Arino and you meet different characters who are also big references to other staff members on the show and you know that was great as well there's a really fantastic shoot 'em up uh, I mean there wasn't the first game but this one's even better and so on and so forth you can go to a game store and play different alternate versions of games from the first <laughs> retro game challenge oh wow um and yeah, uh, and also like, like well, we mentioned, the magazines and those also have uh, photographs of uh, the Game Center staff members playing editors. Of course, for Retro Game Challenge, the first game, it was uh, people uh, in our circles. They got pictures of people like Dan Shu and um, John Davison to play you know, little characters in these magazines, just their photos and whatnot. But still, pretty cool. Um, so you know. I was really hoping they localize the second one because then maybe I could get my picture in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to admit it. You I should have been in happened. the first one, Ray. I would have raised the stink. Yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, I guess it was too late because they didn't really – they hadn't known about me really <laughs> or, the, or my whole – I know John Davidson, huge fan of the show. Yeah, I mean – I associate well, his name with <laughs> – And some other people who, who really have tenuous links to game journalism. Uh, but anyway, this game never came out here in the US unfortunately. No. And, and there's no chance of it coming. No, not anymore because the DS market is uh, long since uh, – There's still that downloadable market. Like the 3DS virtual console and the 3DS eShop like I think is something that – where they could get a, a I know. People are like, oh, just put it out as DSiWare. But people fail to realize is that Nintendo really makes it clear that DSiWare is for really short-form games. Yeah. And this is still kind of like a full product. Um I don't know. Maybe something would change. I I can't I can't say never, but I like to. It's uh, it was it was Xseed, right? Xseed. Xseed did the first. They one. take a lot of risks lately. I've noticed. So I don't know. It just seems like maybe if this game had come out a lot later and was like a download only thing, because they they just oh. they just released like a frigging um, Blay Blue visual novel. Like I can't imagine the that amount of people into that. Oh, that was Axis. Axis does the Blaze Blue stuff. Oh, I could have sworn it was Xseed. Damn. No. Okay. Well, someone's doing stuff stuff that no one wants. So why can't they do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that oh, you're, it was Axis. Sorry. Yeah. Well, people get grumpy over the fact that you know Retro Game Challenge didn't sell and that the sequel wasn't localized because it, because of that. Um, but that was all. You know, the first game really hit on like the tail end of the DS boom days because mm. a lot of companies were really localizing things that probably wouldn't have ever showed up otherwise during like that period of like 2006, 2008. You mean like My World, My Way, and Steel Princess? 
the all those all those games that Atlas localized. You're just like, I don't know yeah. why this is coming over, and it's going to sell 20 copies, and then they ended up selling 20 copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like Atlas had a ton of stuff that you know they probably wouldn't even have a chance to now. Yeah. And so you know, then the sequel comes out, but then you have to spend the time localizing that, and and by then, like the market just isn't as viable anymore because then we're gearing up for 3ds. And you know the it's just it's just not viable for many different reasons, and so that's really one of the contributing factors why the sequel didn't come out here. Yeah, I mean that's not even taking into account the licensing issues. I mean this is a game that you know the property is owned by Fuji TV, but the game is developed Uh by Namco. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of uh, a lot of hands that need to have money put into them, and I don't imagine that the you know the the popularity of the show over in Japan made for a cheap license. Um, No. Japanese publishers, I've noticed, tend not to quite understand that just because something's popular in their region uh, means it has a huge amount of value outside of Japan. So things, a lot of things have a tendency not to see the light of day outside of Japan because um, licensors ask too dear a price for them and they just, you know, it's just not worth it for anyone to localize mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And they probably don't feel more protective of it because it was a high-quality game. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're probably contributed to that as well. Um, nonetheless, uh, back to Retro Game Challenge 2. Uh, it, it was fan-translated just recently. The, the patches were released, and you can now play it in English. I mean, now you can stop complaining to some degree. <laughs> I mean, you can at least play the ROM. I mean, I'm not going to question what way people want to play it or whatever. I'd like it if you at least uh, bought the Japanese version first, and then if you want to play it on flashcard, go ahead. We're uh, continuing the great tradition of games that are not coming to the U.S. but having wonderful translations. Yes. Uh, you know, the Retro Game Challenge 2 is in the same wheelhouse as uh, the second Miles Edgeworth game. Mm-hmm. That was another one people were begging for, but again, the timing was just wrong. Yeah. yeah. The market was not there. Yeah, exactly. So it is in this sort of uh, pantheon of great Japanese DS games that are now in English in some way or another. And uh, I did do a little bit of text editing on it. Uh, if you play it, I mostly did all the Game Master Arino dialogue. Um, but that like that project went in like a first phase and then it sort of died out and then some other people took it on and still kept some of the text that I used, which is nice. But uh, yeah, I have my little mark on that one way or another. Not my picture – but I still have some of my work in so there. So just left your picture in there too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, another game uh, just came out uh, this year as well for the 3DS. This is the uh, Game Center CX uh, RNO of Third Street. I had not um, heard about this one. This was a surprise to me when you brought it up. Yes. And now here's where I sigh again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so who developed this one? Uh, yeah. So basically they had to get a different developer. The mm-hmm. first two games were made by Indie Zero. Uh, who, who was always a great developer? They made also Theaterism, Final Fantasy after mm-hmm. after this, and they've they've uh, I believe they made uh, Electroplankton. They've done a bunch of other stuff, contract stuff, really high quality games, and and they did a great job on the games they CS games. But I guess for some reason they couldn't be available. So uh, the developer that uh, Bandai Namco got next was G Rev or Grev or whatever mm-hmm. however you want to put it, and you know they're not quite. They're just not quite as good. I mean, yes, they have made some great shoot 'em ups. They are their wheelhouses and shoot 'em ups, and they have done a very competent job making some pretty good games. But then they're then they're tasked with making a bunch of different fake retro games uh, and just trying to fill the shoes of a of, of the past developer who who did a fantastic job. 
And so it's like it kind of really stretched a bit too far, I think. Um, it's a whole different setup, um, kind of. I mean, you you do play this other kid in the '80s, and you do meet Arno, but it's mostly about walking around this town and meeting other characters who are also very obvious characters of Game Series staff mad members, and um, just playing again more different games and completing challenges. But it, it it doesn't really it doesn't really have the same sort of feeling as the uh, other games did because the nostalgic eight bit aesthetic is not really there. I think. And uh, it's much harder as well with the challenges. Like they just demand more of you. They, I mean, they want you to go farther than than you probably should to try and beat this challenge and then move on to the next game. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 a bit rickety. I mean, some of the games were fun. I guess there's like a walking around, beating guys up overhead game, fantasy kind of cartoony stuff. But um, it just didn't nail it. And uh, in fact, uh, Chris Kohler, you know, friend of the show, Chris Kohler, he wrote a review of it on on, on Wired, and uh, pretty much, you know, I'm I'm in agreement. They just did not really capture the that whole nostalgic vibe as well as the Indie Zero did with the previous games. Uh, it's too bad because you know you have something like you know it's a brand new game series CS game on 3ds that should be great. You know, think about it. You could have like crazy Virtual Boy references or something like that, but it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel about NES Remix? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Indie Zero also made the NES Remix games. And, uh, yeah, those are great because mm-hmm. it's like they took the same principle basically <laughs> doing these different challenges. Which is like living your own Game Center CX episode. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, to get a little bit meta, there there was a Game Center CX oh, special yeah. uh, episode on uh, the eShop in Japan where I mm-hmm. played NES Remix uh, 1 and 2. Uh and that is actually another another tangent is that there are a bunch of special Game Center CX episodes that were made for Nintendo where they play where he plays virtual console games, <laughs> the latest virtual console games, and goes through those for shorter challenges. Um, he played all the way through Super Metroid, for example. So that's if you wanted to see him play that, you have to find a way to get, find the Nintendo uh, eShop version of that. Um, I I bought the third game just you know out of uh, some sort of sick <laughs> loyalty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And you do have all of the uniforms. I do. Yeah, so you, you, you kind of have to yeah. buy the game. You have to buy at least one game yeah. per uniform. So. Yeah, I know. Uh, Jeremy, did you get it? Or were you scared off? No, I just I couldn't bring myself to import the game okay. when I've, I've heard such poor things about it. Yeah. If I ever happen to be like a Japanese used game shop and see it for, you know, 1,200 yen or something, maybe I'll pick it up. But otherwise, I just uh-huh. don't anticipate buying the game yeah it's like it's a good tip for anyone <laughs> i think if you're in japan next time just uh, find it used um yeah so yeah and it's just it's it's kind of an ugly game outside of the retro games like okay yeah pixel aesthetic you can sort of make it cute and pretty to a certain extent but then you have these uh town segments where you're walking around with the Arino, and it's just these weird stretchy caricatures and some of them have like dithering on them it's just mm. really really low budget and it's a shame i mean i can understand you know grev wanting to do their best but uh it wasn't wasn't the best fit for it them. wasn't good enough yeah they should have had more time or something <laughs> um i'll always allow them a second chance though <laughs> but who knows after this so that was the games and uh that's that's game center cx essentially so now what well i want you to go watch this show silly God, of I course. Go watch the show now. So, um, like I mentioned, um, around 2011, a bunch of people from Something Awful started to just, you know, 
make better fan subs, and they got some talented people to do that. Um, one of them uh, being uh, Nina Matsumoto, who was uh, who was a comic artist, but also you know a Japanese Canadian, and so she did a lot of the translations for those. Very good, very accurate, and then ended up uh, doing redone uh, subtitles for the uh, Retro Game Master DVD set in America. So they cleaned up the crappy job that was provided to Kotaku oh. at the time. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, you know, you don't have to watch it with the dub either on those DVDs. You can just watch it subtitled, and it's perfectly fine. And so, uh, they're still making fan sub, fan subbed episodes uh, because uh, from the something awful sort of collective. These few people who are doing all these new uh, translating. So uh, they just put up a website a couple months ago called uh, sa-gccx.com, and there they have a complete catalog of all the fan subs. Basically, they, not just theirs, but other splinter groups that tried to do it as well. And uh, you may find a download link there. I can't guarantee that they'll all work, but you can go ahead and report it to them if it doesn't work. And you can find basically every episode they translated, and it's a lot now. Um, in fact, they're just they just started on doing the latest season eighteen. Um, so you can find some there. There's still some gaps to be filled, but uh, a lot of great episodes that you will certainly like um, are on there. And uh, like I said, there is the North American DVD set that is still available uh, called uh, Retro Game Master, the Game Center CX Collection. That's by a company called Discotech. They licensed those uh, Kotaku versions. They added some episodes, in fact, from what was on Kotaku. Um, stuff like uh, Sheer and the Wanderer. And um, if you want to watch Arno play his first roguelike, it's mm. quite an experience. <laughs> uh, not always agreed upon as the best episode, but still pretty, uh, pretty good, I would say. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but I'm a big fan of Shirin, so it was yeah. it was interesting to watch his uh, unique, quirky take on video games collide with uh, something so decidedly hostile. Yeah, it's another one. Yeah, it's a. It's also one of those episodes that people get really mad at him for because he does so many things wrong. It's like, well, what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully now that I, you know, that we've talked about and explained the show a bit, hopefully you can sort of come at it with a somewhat open mind because there are still people who get like very upset that Arino sucks at the games <laughs> and thinks this and don't think the show is good because of that. They want to see, I don't know, some sort of speed running prowess or something. Well, it's weird here. because a lot of YouTubers are not experts at the. Game. The thing that makes most YouTubers YouTube people fun to watch is the ones who are absolutely terrible yes. at games. Yeah, I mean, the most popular YouTuber is completely awful at video games, and he just shrieks about how terrible uh-huh. he is. So go figure. And that's probably certainly staged, as opposed to Game Series CX. Um, but, you know, the, it, is, it, is, it is fine to get mad at Norino, but also laugh. <laughs> just make sure to laugh as well, because you kn- he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows how absurd he is. And you need to be going along with that as well. And that's how you enjoy the show the most. So uh, I would also – so yeah, get the DVD set as well as getting the fan subs because the DVD set is the uh, really the best way now to get those episodes uh, officially because uh, the fan sub downloads aren't available because, you know, the right stuff. But you do get some great episodes like that, like Sheeran and the whole Mighty Bomb Jack saga, the whole three-parter. That's excellent. And Ninja Gaiden as well, which is another classic episode. Um Go to go to that go to that website. Get that DVD and just waste entire weekends watching it, please, with other people <laughs> if you can manage it. Like I said, you know, I got my mom to like it, so why mm. not? You know, try everybody you can. If you know someone who would like video games, please get them to watch Game Center CX because it is a very enjoyable show. Yeah, put out a Craigslist opening. So like, hey, want to get together, watch some Game Center CX? <laughs> who wants yeah. to join? Yeah. Got you chips? Could, you could do that. Um, people will at least come for the chips. 
I wouldn't say I condone it, but <laughs> you can try it out. All right. So that that does it uh, for this episode of Retronauts, I would say. Thanks, everybody, for listening uh, again. I, I tried my best talking about not even a retro video game, but, uh, but a TV show. Yeah, I hope I didn't annoy you too much, but hey. Thank you nonetheless to Joey Chu, who uh, came up with the idea for the episode and, of course, backing us on Kickstarter and um, giving us the opportunity to do this. And uh, thank you, Justin, for coming by. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been fun. And actually, uh, you'll stick around, I think, for Pocket. Um, you can always find us on Retronauts.com. You can find all the episodes, of course. We're on Twitter as well, Retronauts, Twitch TV slash Retronauts. Speaking of Bomb Jack, I just streamed a bit of the original arcade version of Bomb Jack on our Twitch channel. Um, it is more enjoyable than the NES game. Okay. <laughs> it is a much more that. solid game than the NES game, which is just this giant maze-like thing um, so watch me play the arcade game uh, it's one of my favorite arcade games really so uh, of course you can also find our episodes on SoundCloud which we do link to from the blog as well and let's see what else uh, I'll plug I'll start doing some personal plugs I'm on Twitter RDB AAA you can also uh, read my game history magazine scroll at scroll.vg and you know what I did do the Game Center CX episode guide I had did end it uh, last year, but uh, I did cover the first 15 or so seasons of the show in text form. It's not that great. Not really my uh, finest work grammatically, but you can go ahead, crunkgames.com. It's uh, right there on the front. You'll find it. Slice like, of uh, internet history. It, yeah, it's also nice. You know, it's it's out of date now, but it is kind of a nice little handy one-sheet reference if you want to see the kind of games that were on the show. Um, but, you know, you can also go to that fan sub site as well. Uh, I do another podcast, Goofy Podcast, uh, sometimes about games called No More Whoppers. You can find that at nomorewhoppers.com. I do that with my best friend, Alex, uh, who also sorts of likes Game Series CX. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> just giving them some cred there. All right. Bob, how about you? Hey, I write for US Gamer and Something Awful. And by this time, I either will be or will have been on a bunch of episodes of Laser Time. So go to Laser Time Podcast. We've had mm-hmm. a ton of those guys on the show. They're all nice guys, and yes. you should enjoy Laser Time. Yes. And tell them to watch Game Series CX. I will. <laughs> I'm going there next. <laughs> okay. uh, Jeremy. Um, let's see. By day, I'm Bob's boss at usgamer.net. Um, I don't know how that happened, but there you go. Uh, let's see. What else do I do? I do some other stuff. I have a personal blog at gamespite.net that sometimes I update. I have my crazy project to catalog the entire Game Boy and other portable system databases, uh, libraries, whatever, at gameboyworld.com. And then there's anatomyofgames.com where I like to dissect old video games that I like and talk about why they're good and why they're well-designed. It's all very exciting. It's old video games, and I'm very analytical and dry about them. Hooray. All right, sounds good. All right. Well, also, I'm on Twitter at GameSpite. Of course. All right, Justin, of course. Uh, yeah, everyone's favorite site, GameSpot.com. You usually get confused with GameStop. Right? I, I run our news department. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can see my writing. We, have a, we still have some editors left, mm-hmm. and I'm one of them. All right. Um, so we do a, a lot of different writing things over there. You can also hear me on the Geekbox podcast with former one-up That's writer right. Ryan Scott on geekbox.net. And my Twitter handle is Justin Haywald, where I don't post very much. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Sometimes pictures of kittens. If you ever need a kitten, that's you know, just follow me. And then a really bad joke about penises. Okay. <laughs> All right, so... I've made my case for Game Center CX, and so have you guys. So 
It's up to you now, listener. That's it for us. We'll see you next time on Pockets. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.